You may be seated. And when you are, please open up your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah. We're going to have a reading from the Old Testament and a reading from uh, the New Testament this week, two kind of shorter readings. So we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 52, and we're going to be reading verses 7 through 10. And as we get to our New Testament reading, um, I think the connection will become clear. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 7. I would remind you that this is God's inspired and infallible word. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen They lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has barred his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And here we'll end our Old Testament reading, and I'd like to ask that you would turn to the book of Romans. We're starting a new series today, and we will um, embark uh, through the book of Romans. Today we are going to look at verses 1 through 7. Again, this is God's holy word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, thankful to come into your presence. Lord, we realize it is a great privilege, and we are thankful that you have called us out of the world and that you have made yourself known to us. We are grateful that you proclaimed your gospel even before our eyes. And Lord, we would ask that you would do so now again that you would hold up Christ before our eyes, that we might marvel at the forgiveness found in him. Lord, that we might marvel that we have a relationship with the living God. 
And so, Lord, we come to you with ears desiring to hear. We'd ask that you would speak to us. We'd ask that you'd hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If you follow the news, you know that there has been a lot of talk about balloons and unidentified flying objects that have been shot down in the last couple of weeks. Uh, For instance, on uh, Saturday, February 4th, a balloon was shot down over the Atlantic uh, Ocean after spending three days uh, floating from Billings, Montana to the South Carolina coast. I wonder, did you know the balloon was over 200 feet tall and weighed thousands of pounds? I had no idea it was that size. And it was equipped with antenna to uh, locate communication devices and listen to them. Uh, the balloon uh, had a payload, they say, the size of three city buses. And last weekend, uh, three more vessels were intercepted and shot down as well. Uh, They were much smaller, roughly the size of a car. Uh, The military shot one down on Friday over Alaska, uh, one on Saturday over the Yukon Territory in Canada, and a third over uh, Lake Michigan uh, on Sunday uh, a week ago today. And they sent special operations teams to gather the debris from these aircraft and, and to deliver it, that to the FBI so they could identify the source of the objects as well as their purpose. They want to know the nature of these objects and where they came from. And our text does something similar It reveals the nature of Paul's call as an apostle and the ultimate source of this epistle. And it also reveals something about the nature of Jesus as the son of David and the son of God. And it reveals the nature of your calling as a believer and how you're to respond to the good news of God's love, grace, and peace. So we're going to begin this morning examining our text. We're going to start by considering the nature of Paul's calling. We're going to begin with our first heading, the nature of the apostle. The nature of the apostle. In ancient times, the author of a letter usually identified himself at the beginning of the letter, like you see here. Uh, and then that's exactly what we see Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul do. He, he begins his letter uh, at the church, uh, to the church of Rome with his name. And as you examine the last chapter of the book, there's evidence that Paul wrote this letter while he was in Corinth somewhere around 58 A.D., For instance, in Romans 16, Paul speaks of Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centria. Centria is one of two seaports in Corinth. Phoebe was likely the person that carried Paul's letter from Corinth to Rome. And there's also a a reference to greetings sent by Gaius, whose hospitality, Paul says, I and the whole church here enjoy. This is likely the same Gaius in Corinth that Paul baptized 
And we see this connection by looking at Romans 16.23 and comparing it over against 1 Corinthians 1.14. Also, in chapter 15, there are certain pointers that indicate the date that Paul wrote this letter. For instance, in verses 26 and 27, it, it makes it clear that this letter was written toward the end of Paul's third missionary journey, just prior to making his trip to Jerusalem to deliver the collection raised to relieve the church in Jerusalem. This would place us somewhere around chapter 18 of the book of Acts. And so it gives you something of the context, where Paul was when he wrote, where we are in the book of Acts, what the date is. And notice how Paul identifies himself. Paul starts by giving his name, but then he seeks to define who he understands himself to be. In verse 1, he writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. This could also be translated Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. The Greek word Paul used here is doulos. A doulos was, was not a hired servant who could come and go as they pleased. No, a doulos was a person who had been purchased. He was his master's possession, someone who belonged entirely to someone else. This serves as a reminder to Christians. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul addressed believers saying, You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Your life belongs to Christ. And while normally we disdain the idea of being someone else's slave, In this case, we rejoice because our master is gentle and lowly, and in him we find rest for our souls. Furthermore, he's good and just and true. He's love itself. Well, Paul continues to identify himself by talking about the nature of his calling. In verse 1, he says that, he was called to be an apostle. In the ancient world, an an apostle was like an ambassador. He's one who spoke often on behalf of the king. The ambassador's message carried with it the full weight and authority of the one who sent him. The word apostolos in Greek simply means one who is sent. Paul is communicating that he is an apostle and that apostolic writing carries the full delegated authority of Jesus himself. This is confirmed when Paul commends the Thessalonian church for understanding this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. And this is also confirmed by the Apostle Peter as well. In 2 Peter 3.16, 
He warns the church about false teachers who are twisting the words written in Paul's letters. Peter says that the arrogant and unstable twist them to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You see, the apostle Peter recognized Paul's letters as scripture. The next thing we learn about Paul is that he had been set apart for the gospel of God. The participle set apart emphasizes God's action in setting Paul apart as a messenger, as an apostle. The phrase also involves a part of speech in the Greek, in the Greek language, which we refer to as a genitive. It indicates possession. Paul is saying that the gospel he has been separated and called to proclaim is God's gospel. Paul is simply the messenger, but the good news he is carrying is from God himself. He's carrying the good news that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You see that that is what verse 2 says. The gospel promise was given immediately after mankind fell into sin. The first proclamation of the gospel is found in the third chapter of Genesis, and it is repeated throughout the Old Testament with more and more clarity. The categories and themes of prophet, priest, king, mediator, temple, sacrifice, the second Adam, the promise to Abraham, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the King, the Redeemer, the Savior. All of these and more are fulfilled in Jesus, God's promised Savior that is to be proclaimed to the nations. Paul was a servant of Jesus who was called as an apostle to carry the message of the gospel. And while the office of apostle passed away with that first generation of the New Testament, it's true that every Christian is a servant of Jesus that is called to carry the message of the gospel. And as our text continues, Paul begins to describe the gospel, the good news that God has achieved through Jesus. And he does this by describing the nature of Christ, the nature of the Son. That's our second heading, the nature of the Son. Verse 3 says that God's gospel is concerning the Son. Notice that Paul calls Jesus the Son of God, and he calls him the Messiah of Israel, which is what the term Christ means. Uh, Jesus Christ is not the Lord's first and last name, right? The word Christ is his title. Jesus is the anointed one, the one the prophets said would come. He is the Savior that God promised to send. And verse 3 says that God's Son is the Christ who was descended from David according to the flesh. You see, the Christ had to be both God and man. 
He had to be divine to keep his human nature from sinking under the wrath of God on the cross and to satisfy God's justice for sin. He had to be divine so that he could give his spirit and bring his people true and everlasting salvation. But the Christ also had to be a man because it's mankind that fell into sin. It's humanity that needs salvation. As a man, Jesus became the perfect surrogate for us so that he could take our sins upon himself, become sin for us, and die an atoning death for us. And the prophecies of the Old Testament say that the Christ would come from the line of King David. And as you read the Gospels, you see that the authors are meticulous in establishing Jesus' lineage. But the prophets also say that the Christ would be born of a virgin. Although the virgin birth does bypass the normal human reproductive process, concerning his human nature, Jesus descended from David And with respect to his divine nature, he descended from heaven. And verse 4 says he was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus took uh, human nature to himself to bring us peace with God. He had to be God and man in one person because it was God and man who were estranged. The two could only be reconciled in and through him. Jesus had to be God and man so that he would be accepted by the Father and so that he would be relied upon by us. And when God the Holy Spirit raised the corpse of Jesus from the tomb, God the Father was announcing to the world the sonship of Jesus. The Father declared Jesus to be his son through the power of the resurrection. In Philippians, we're told that after the resurrection, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in verse 4, we see that. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God and power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul finishes his description of the gospel by identifying Jesus as the Son of God, the one who is both Christ, the anointed King of Israel, and Lord over all. Having described the good news of what God achieved through Jesus, Paul then proceeds to speak of his own apostleship in verse 5. He points to the lordship of Jesus by telling us how he became an apostle. In verse 5, he says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. 
You remember it was on the Damascus road that Paul was confronted by Christ and received his commission to be an apostle. It was there that he received the grace of being appointed an apostle. And speaking of this event in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he says, God set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And you see Paul fulfilling that call as verse 5 continues. Paul says that he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. He was called as an apostle to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He was called to make the name of Jesus famous among the nations. He was determined to fulfill the great commission. Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice the verbs in the Great Commission. Go. Make disciples. Baptize. Teach. Christians are called to bring the message of the gospel to the lost. They're called to go. And they're called to make disciples. A disciple is someone who hears, understands, and obeys Jesus' word. We're to baptize and publicly receive people into the church. And we're to teach the word of God so that disciples grow spiritually and mature and observe all that the Lord has commanded. Well, as the text continues, Paul moves from talking about his call as an apostle to the call shared by every Christian. And we begin to discover something of the nature of the believer. That's the third heading. The nature of the believer. After Paul informs his readers about his calling as an apostle... To the, gen- to the Gentiles, in verse 6, he immediately adds, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking to those who have been called, but not in a general sense. They've been effectually called. They're born again. The Spirit of God has convinced them of their sin and need of repentance. They've turned from sin. He has enlightened their minds so that they understand the gospel, so that they see their need for forgiveness, so that they long for it. And he's renewed their wills so that they embrace Christ freely offered in the gospel. The Bible calls Christians the called out ones. Every Christian is called out of the world out of bondage, out of death, out of sin, and into Christ and into his church. And notice Christians 
belong to Jesus. That's what the text says, isn't it? He is their master, their Lord. We talked about that earlier. 1 Corinthians 6.19, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. You've been purchased with the blood of Christ. In verse 7, Paul identifies those to whom he's addressing the congregations in Rome. He writes, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Notice that Paul says Christians are loved by God. Paul doesn't mention the believer's love for God, but rather that which is far more important. God's love for his people. God's love for you. Paul knows that all who believe in Christ are dear to God, and so he addresses them as those that are loved by God. And the phrase there, loved by God, could also be translated as dearly loved by God, or even God's beloved. The term Paul uses here has a particularly tender quality. It often expresses uh, the warmth between family members, uh, between a father and his children. Paul also knows that those who believe in Christ have been called and set apart for God. And so he addresses them as those called to be saints. The word for saint in the New Testament is a word that means holy or sanctified one. Essentially, it means people who are set apart and consecrated to God, dedicated to him. The idea of Christians being holy has its roots in the Old Testament where Israel is spoken of as holy, meaning that they were set apart as God's special people. The Bible calls believers to be holy, not only in the sense of being set apart, but also in the sense of being pure and blameless in their conduct. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This call is nothing less than a call to complete conformity to the character of God, to the character of Christ. Your mind, your appetite, your aspirations, and your actions are all to be brought captive to Christ. And we're to do that by gathering up our thoughts. By gathering up our thoughts and focusing them on the truth of God in Christ. 
by keeping our eyes firmly fixed on him. Set your mind on the grace you've received in Christ and look back there often, constantly. And as new creatures, we have our minds, emotions, and our wills set free from the dominion of sin. Therefore, we're exhorted by God's word and enabled by the Spirit to pursue righteousness. We've been enlightened by the word of God and know what moral purity is. And by the Spirit, we've been given an appetite, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have a desire to be like our Savior that's rooted in gratitude and affection, that's rooted in the grace we've received in Christ that's rooted in a response to the gospel. And as we see that in the second half of verse 7, we see that Paul's greeting transforms into a prayer for the Roman Christians. He writes, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's freely given favor, given apart from any work in the recipient. God's grace was clearly demonstrated in overwhelming abundance in the atoning death of Jesus, and his grace is available to all who are willing to receive it by trusting in Christ's atoning sacrifice for their sin. And when you receive God's grace, when God's grace comes upon you, taking away your sins and making you an object of God's favor, his peace begins to come over you like a flood. It's the peace that's been purchased by the blood of Christ. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He gives us the peace of God that cannot be revoked. It's a supernatural peace, a divine peace, a peace that surpasses understanding. It's so freeing, so extraordinary that you want everyone you know and love to experience it. And so you find yourself like Paul carrying the message of the gospel to others around you. As you reflect on this passage, you see that it teaches you something about the nature, your nature as a believer. And it does that by revealing something about the nature of Paul's call as an apostle. And as you consider Paul's example, you're reminded of what it means to be the Lord's servant. And you're reminded of your responsibility to carry the message of the gospel to the lost. And as you think about this passage and what it says about the nature of the Son of God, you're reminded of what God achieved through Jesus. The text says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of David, 
and the Son of God. And you're reminded that Christ had to be both God and man. He had to be God and man in one person because it was God and man that needed to be reconciled. And you're reminded of the resurrection. And you remember the forgiveness that you've received in Christ and that he's been exalted as Lord. You see that it's Jesus who gives grace and appoints callings. And you see that he demands obedience and claims nations as his own. And you reflect on this passage and you see that it speaks about the nature of the apostle and the son and the believer. And you learn that you have been set apart to live in a way that is consistent with your commitment to the good news of God's love, grace, and peace. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a calling. We look at the Apostle Paul and we marvel. And we look at the Lord Jesus and we marvel further. And we look to you, O Lord, and we would ask that you would pour out your grace upon us as we think of our call to walk in the footsteps of Christ. O Lord, we are reminded of our responsibility to carry the gospel to others. And we are reminded that we are to be following you and indeed walking in your footsteps. And O Lord, when we look at ourselves, we see our great need for an outpouring of your Spirit. And so we would ask, Lord, that you would help us by empowering us and enabling us to carry, to be faithful, to carry the message of the gospel and to follow you. O Lord, would you help us to be faithful in our calling as your disciples? We'd ask that you'd hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.